All right, so if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16? The Gospel of Luke, chapter 16. We're going to be looking at verses 19 uh, through 26. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, verses 19 through 26. I'm going to ask you to stand if you're able to. Uh, stand in, uh, as we prepare our hearts uh, for His Word today. Luke 16, 19 through 26. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for all that You are doing in our lives uh, thank you even for this time that we get into your word. I believe, Lord, that you are still speaking uh, to your people in 2023. I'm thankful, Lord, that you're speaking to our children, that you are speaking to us as adults, that, again, it's your desire to have intimacy with us. And, Lord, uh, you want to be with us forever and ever for eternity. And so, Lord, as we get into this message today, I pray that your Holy Spirit uh, would encourage us, that he would challenge us, uh, that he would help us to see things with your eyes, God. Help us to see things with your eyes, with your vision, Lord. Uh, just speak to your people today. In Jesus' name, God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. So for the past couple weeks, we've been sharing uh, a message series called Eternity, uh, Your Forever Home. Anybody been enjoying it? There's been just a lot of information. Uh, hope you're ready to take some notes again today. Uh, we began by saying a couple weeks ago that everything in the Bible points toward eternity. And because God created us, everything with inside of us cries out for our forever home. In Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 11, the Bible says that God has planted, actually planted eternity inside of every single human heart. See, God designed us to live in eternity. And we know that his work with us is not yet finished in this life. And so we will definitely need an eternity. You and I, we're going to need an eternity to be able to experience all of the blessings of God. The Bible also teaches that there are only two eternal destinations, right? Heaven and hell. In Matthew 25 and verse 46, Jesus said that some will go away into eternal punishment, uh, speaking of hell, but the righteous into eternal life. And the reference there is, of course, heaven. The central message of the Bible related to eternity is that you and I, get this, please get this, you and I will freely choose in this life where we actually get to spend eternity. See, God doesn't send us to heaven automatically and, and God doesn't send us to hell automatically. You and I have something that is called free will and we have it because he loves us. We have it because he wants relationship with us. He doesn't want a bunch of robots. We have free will and you and I can choose today where we will spend eternity forever and ever and ever. We do it in this life. And this week in Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells us the story of two men and what happens to them after they die. It's clear from our text that we're about to read that the righteous go to a place in the afterlife and the wicked go to a very different and separate place. But each place is just as real and as eternal as the, and as, as the other. And before I go any further, listen, last week I explained the Old Testament uh, Hebrew word, for hell, which is Sheol, we know it describes the place where all people actually go after they die. That was the, uh, the distinction. We also explained in detail about Hades and very much about Gehenna. And, and uh, you know, it was a tough one to preach and I'm sure it was a tough one to hear, but it's the truth and we need the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. 
And so Sheol and Hades and Gehenna, all of those three words have been used in some sense to describe hell. But we said that Sheol had the distinction of describing a place in the afterlife where all people, say all people, all people go, all people went before the resurrection of Jesus. I even went into detail about the righteous going to a place in Sheol where they were going to be able to rest and they were going to be able to worship, explaining that the wicked would also go to Sheol, but inside Sheol they were going to a, a different place. Uh, think of it almost like a compartment. Think of it uh, kind of like a, just kind of a, a different neighborhood, a different place. And in that place, we know that, that the wiz, w wicked were going to experience punishment and, and suffering and, and uh, you know, just all of those things we don't like to talk, talk about and we don't like to think about. I also mentioned last week that there, were, that there was still more to this Old Testament concept of Sheol that had yet to be revealed to us. And in our text today, Jesus is going to make that further revelation known. So we're going to read about it and talk about it. And so the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 16, I want you to know the words of Jesus in Luke 16 do not contradict our understanding of Sheol. Instead, it's like an onion. It reveals more and more. It's important to note that. Listen, if we were to judge by what is said in some funerals, you might think that everyone will eventually end up in heaven. And yet this only confirms what we find in our society as a whole. See, for every American who believes that he or she is actually going to hell, there are about 120 more who believe they are actually going to heaven. And yet one Christian author states that heaven is not our default destination. Let me say that again. Heaven is not your default destination. It's not my default destination. He says no one goes to heaven automatically. That's the truth. Unless our sin problem is solved, that is our problem, that is the thing that, that's, that prevents us uh, from, from making that, that proper choice to, to heaven, the only place we go, unless our sin problem is resolved, which is it, it's our true default destination, is hell. Do nothing in this life. Do nothing in this world. Just live your life. Do what you want. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna live my best life. Man, oh man. You can live your, your best life. You can uh, just have all of the toys and you can gather up and accumulate all kinds of riches. And if you don't make a, a decision for Jesus, your default destination is set. The Bible also teaches that unless we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, we are headed for hell. That is the Bible. Again, like we said last week, it's not a very popular message, but again, it's the truth. It's important to tell and to hear the whole truth before it's too late. Listen, I'm not trying to scare anyone. I'm not trying to back you into a corner this morning. Uh, I'm not trying to make you feel uncomfortable. I just want to share the truth with you, how it was shared with me, so that you can make an educated decision, if you haven't already, so that you can make an educated decision for yourself, and now let's go to our text, Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through, through 26, and see what we can understand about the Bible itself. The Bible says, beginning at verse 19, that there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared, or in another translation said he feasted sumptuously every day. And so basically he looked the part, he looked rich. 
and he acted rich. It's very hard for me not to do a word study when I'm reading this study. The words are just jumping out on me. Everything means something. And so he looked and acted rich. Verse 20, but there was a certain beggar named Lazarus. He was full of sores and was laid at his gate and he was desiring to be fed with the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and they licked his sores. Sounds to me like Lazarus suffered on this earth. Verse 22, and and so it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he actually lifted up his eyes and he saw, say saw. He saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus was in his bosom. Verse 24, and then he cried. And then he cried and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in the water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Listen, next week we're going to focus on the rich man, talk about his eternity. Today we're going to talk about Lazarus after he died and after he woke up in eternity. And scripture tells us that eventually every single person is going to go to their eternal home, right? Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 7 says, Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will, will return to God who gave it. And so in the end, listen, there is no purgatory, uh, there is no limbo, there is no sleep, no soul sleep. The Bible does not teach any of those man-made ideas. I want you to hear that this morning. See, when you die, the body is separated from your soul and your spirit, and your body remains behind temporarily. I want, I want to note it does not matter if your body is cremated. It does not matter if your body is buried. It does not matter if your body is lost at sea. Every single body will be recovered by the judge of the universe, by God, in the end, one day. And so some will ask, but how can God raise all the dead? If the body is somehow destroyed, Pastor Freddie, well, if you think about the power that it actually takes to literally create a flesh and blood body from dirt, from the earth. I don't know when the last time was you did that, but think about the power that it takes to do that. Then it probably doesn't matter if all that is left is dust or ashes or nothing at all. The creator, did you know, the creator can recreate a body and and if need be, he will. Back in our text, I want you to notice that Lazarus and the rich man both, say both, They have a conscious existence immediately. I don't want you to miss that. 
In our text, they both, they are in eternity. They go to their forever home. They both have a conscious existence immediately after they died. Again, no purgatory, no limbo, no soul sleep. And so it really shouldn't come as a surprise that in Luke chapter 23 and verse 43, Jesus told the, the dying uh, thief who was repentant and hanging next to him on the cross, today you will be with me where? In paradise. No, it's no surprise. And then in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, Paul said he'd rather be absent from the body and be present with the Lord. And in Philippians 1 and 23, he compares departing from this world to actually being with Christ. And so clearly, when Christians die, our spirit immediately, say immediately, when Christians die, our spirit immediately returns to God in heaven. Likewise, the spirit of the unbeliever goes to hell when they die. What about the bodies? What about the bodies? Now listen, the bodies of believers who have died await the day when the Lord returns from heaven. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17 says, The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet with the Lord in the air. What about unbelievers? The bodies of unbelievers will also rise one day. John chapter 5 verses 28 and 29 says, For the hour is coming in which all those who are in the grave, say all those, all those who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. Those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. And don't forget, I know you read that and you say, well, they're in their graves. Again, what about those that have been cremated? What about those that have been lost at sea? What about those who haven't been recovered? Every single body will be recovered by the judge of the universe in the end. Before we go any further, last week I said uh, that during his earthly ministry, Jesus did not teach that the righteous go to Sheol after they die. And uh, listen, I need to correct that statement. I want you to know your pastor is not perfect, but when I catch it, I want to correct it. Amen? We're not always perfect. We don't say the right things at the right time sometimes. So verse 22 of our text, go there. Verse 22 of our text said that Lazarus, the beggar, died and was carried by angels to Abraham's bosom. Verse 23 said that, that the rich man was in torment. Where? Where was the rich man in torments? In hell or in Hades. The rich man was in torments in Hades and that he lifted up his eyes. And who did he see afar off? Anybody remember? He saw Abraham and he saw Lazarus in his bosom. This is just, uh, watch the, the, the reasoning here, that if Sheol was the temporary resting place for the righteous in the Old Testament and before Jesus, if Lazarus, the, the righteous beggar, died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom, and since we know that Abraham and all of the other Old Testament saints were located in Sheol, then we, then listen, even though Jesus didn't use the word shield, we have to believe that both Abraham and Lazarus were doing what? They were resting and they were worshiping and they were being comforted together in that special place for the righteous in Sheol that Jesus is now calling Abraham's bosom. 
Jesus teaches that in the text, and so I stand corrected. I stand corrected. I hope that my main point wasn't lost, though, because Jesus also taught that his disciples, after his resurrections, when they one day died, they were going to be with him where? In heaven. In heaven. Don't, don't lose that. Listen, and the fact that Jesus was saying that while on the earth, that was still a big deal because, again, it pointed to the fact that Jesus was the promised Messiah that they had been waiting for and that he actually came uh, and saved his people. And, and listen, for our text today, Jesus refers to eternity using three words that I want to unpack a little bit for us. As I already mentioned, Jesus uses the word or the phrase Abraham's bosom. Instead of Sheol, when you hear Abraham's bosom, you should be thinking, connecting those words. He also talks about a great gulf fixed for the first time. It's the first time we're, we're hearing, again, this is about that revelation that I'm talking about. We didn't quite maybe understand it by isolating Sheol before, but now here we go. He's talking about Abraham's bosom. He's talking about a great gulf that was fixed. And again, he mentions Hades on the other side of that great gulf. Remember, Abraham's bosom, I want to make sure you get this. There's a lot of words, a lot of vocabulary. Abraham's bosom later is also called paradise, and it is the place where the souls of the righteous dead go to rest and worship before the resurrection. It is also a place of comfort, and so when Lazarus dies, his body goes into the grave, but his soul and his spirit goes to Abraham's bosom. Hades was a place of torment. It's the place that the souls of the wicked go. We know Hades is hell. To, to, he, they would go there to suffer and be punished for eternity. And so again, let's follow the, the chain of events. The rich man dies. His body is buried where? In the ground, in the grave. And he awakes immediately in Hades. Between Abraham's bosom and Hades, now scripture tells us there is a, what is the phrase? Great gulf fixed. Every word matters. Massive, great gulf fixed. What does fixed mean? Can we move it? Can we kick it around? Can we move it slow? It is fixed. And so according to Jesus, there is a chasm, a gulf. There is a, a gorge, a gulf. There is a ravine. There is a massive breach, a division. And between these two places, they can't be crossed under any circumstances. Can't go around. Can't go under. You can't go there under, under, under any circumstances. Listen, the Bible clearly tells us that the, um, that the unrighteous in Hades remain in Hades or hell until a particular point in the future at the great white, Joan, uh, white throne judgment uh, when Hades gives them up and all of its inhabitants are judged by God and then they are cast into the lake of fire. Revelation chapter 20 verses 13 and 14 says, the sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one, listen to the words, each one according to his works. So glad we're, that we have Jesus. We don't have to be judged according, but they will be judged according to their works. They don't have Jesus. They didn't accept him. 
judged according to his works, and then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. It, listen, it's important to note again, every single believer who died before the resurrection of Jesus went to Sheol, also called Abraham's bosom in our text, later called paradise. It's like the same word, Sheol, Abraham's bosom, a paradise, same word, and their position remained unchanged until Jesus, their Messiah, was resurrected and ascended. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 through 10 says, Therefore he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, uh, this he ascended, what does it mean but that he first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fall, fill all things. Listen, I don't want to get too far ahead of, of myself, but some of you maybe have never heard that before. But it wasn't just that Jesus died and was in the grave and he woke up one day and he, he kind of got through the cave and, and he appeared. No, before that, when he was in the grave, he descended for a reason. We'll talk about it in a bit. He descended, then ascended. And so when Jesus died and his body was in the grave, he descended into Sheol, Abraham's bosom, paradise, all the same place again. He took all of the believing dead with him to heaven. And remember, all of the Old Testament saints, all of the believers in Sheol were held captive by death, but Jesus is now about to set them free. Today in 2023, when the Christian dies, their body goes into the grave to await their resurrection, but their soul and spirit goes to be with the Lord when? Immediately. I want you to get that. I want you to get that. No more suffering. No more pain. No more going through it. Listen, immediately, immediately, every word has weight and matters. Listen, now that we've established what happens to the believer at death, I, I want to ask some, some questions uh, uh, that maybe some of you have concerning heaven this morning. And so some people will ask Pastor Freddie, what, number one, uh, first, uh, what is heaven like? What is heaven like? Anybody ever wonder, what is heaven? I mean, what is it really like? Randy Alcorn in his book, Heaven, makes the point that, uh, that, uh, that books about heaven are notorious for saying that we cannot know what heaven is like but that it's more wonderful than we can ever imagine it. Doesn't that sound so spiritual? That sounds so spiritual. There's no way you can ever know about heaven, but it's just, it's just so, it's so much more wonderful that you, than you can ever imagine it. Listen, in fact, some quote 1 Corinthians 2.9 to support this idea that you can't know about it, where it says, I has not seen nor ear has heard or have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. And so maybe, say maybe, we can't really know what heaven is like because, you know, the verse just said, eye has not seen, ear has not heard. Or we just can't understand it. God has prepared all these things. The problem with interpreting that verse that way is that it fails to consider the rest of the passage in verse 10. So 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 10, where it goes on to say, but God has revealed, say revealed, but God has revealed them, what? 
the mysterious, the mysterious things, right? The things that we are maybe don't know in the natural. God has revealed them to us through his spirit for the spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. You want to know the deep things of God? Hang out with the Holy Spirit in his word. He will reveal the deep things of God. Listen, I don't know if you've ever been there. Just in this study myself, as I have read the word of God, the things that I have read a thousand times, that all of a sudden the Holy Spirit is able to take his word and make it alive to me. The word of God is living. The word of God is sharp. The word of God makes things clear. And so the Holy Spirit is able to re reveal those deep things to us. And so you want to know about heaven. He, he reveals it. He's there. He's present. Hallelujah. And so, again, the Holy Spirit, speaking through the Word of God, does explain what heaven is like. And God tells us enough about heaven for us to understand and anticipate what awaits us one day in heaven. Others might use 2 Corinthians 12, 4, another verse that, where people might say we can't really know what heaven is because Paul says right there in, in, in 2 Corinthians 12, 4 uh, that he was caught up into paradise and heard uh, inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter and but really all this verse says is that Paul was forbidden to discuss his personal experience in contrast we know that the apostle Paul detailed in a prolonged way his visit to heaven in the book of Revelation you want to know what heaven is like read the book of Re Revelation not only will you uh, receive a blessing anybody know that there's a blessing every time you read the book of Revelation Pastor Freddie I don't understand it Pastor Freddie it mixes me up listen there's a blessing in reading it you better get to reading receive that blessing but not only that in the book of revelation you will begin to get a glimpse of that mind-blowing idea that is heaven the place where you and i if we are followers of christ will spend all eternity and we will really get to know what it's like but but listen as we anticipate as we prepare for the coming of the lord you can know a little bit about heaven because it's right there in the book the holy book, amen? Earlier in 2 Corinthians, when Paul used uh, the phrase to be present with the Lord, uh, another translation actually uses for that phrase at home with the Lord. Say at home. In, in John chapter 14 and verse 2, Jesus called heaven my father's house. He wants us to join him there one day. How many of you know that? Jesus wants you to join him in heaven one day and and uh, he he wants us to join him it sounds like heaven is very much like home. I hope that it will be your home one day. See, when our time on this earth is over, as followers of Jesus Christ, we're, we're going to immediately, say immediately, we're going to immediately start spending eternity uh, with the Lord in our forever home, and heaven will be that new home for eternity. And listen, if heaven is our home, then it has to have all of those qualities that we associate with home. I know, listen, we take for granted our homes. Uh, we see them every day. They get dirty. They get broken. We got to fix things. We got to paint. We got to clean. Pastor Freddie, stop talking about my, my, my to-do list for the week. But you know what? Spend some time away from home, somewhere where you don't have your stuff and your conveniences, and I almost guarantee you will begin to miss home. 
See, Jesus didn't say, I go to an indescribable realm devoid of physical properties where your disembodied spirit will float around and is nothing at all like you've ever thought of as home. And I'm so glad he didn't say that. See, the term home is used to describe heaven for a reason. And so it's more than just a metaphor. It is a real, actual, physical place. It's a place where you will be reunited with your saved loved ones who have gone before you and those who will follow after you. And so home is a place that is filled with hope and heaven is a place that is filled with hope. It's a place of comfort, security, and refuge. It's a wonderful place of conversations and meaningful mediation. Plus, there will be many opportunities to continue to use your God-given gifts at home in heaven. See, Lazarus the beggar, he had a rough life. Would you say he, he had a rough life? I mean, his body was covered. It was full of sores. He had actually begged for crumbs at a rich man's gate. We can't even fathom that, right? We, uh, most of us, we have bread. We have stuff in the cupboards. He had nothing. He, again, he was just messed up, broken, didn't have anything. Even the street dogs came and licked his sores while he was on earth. But when he died, he finally went to his eternal home in heaven to rest to be comforted, and so heaven is like a home. Uh, secondly, what will we look like in heaven? Anybody ever wonder what you're going to look like? What are you, you going to look like in heaven? Philippians chapter 3 and verse 21 says that Christ, listen, listen to this, Christ will transform our lowly body, say transform, Christ will, he will transform our lowly body that it may be, may be conformed to his glorious body. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 1 says that we will have an eternal body. Say eternal. We will have an eternal body made for us by God himself. What are you going to look like? You're going to look amazing. You're, you're going to look amazing. But listen, way better than that, you and I, we are going to have a glorified body made by God. And so listen, contrary to, to what some believe, people do not become angels when they die. The Bible does not teach that at all. People do not become angels when they die. See, angels were created by God as angels. They are not humans who have died. Remember, listen, Jesus didn't die on the cross for angels. We're different. But in heaven, we're, we're still, we're going to look amazing all because of our heavenly father. Third, will we know each other in heaven? Anybody ever wonder that? Will, will we know each other in heaven? Absolutely. But if anything, we'll know each other even better. In Luke chapter 9, when Elijah and Moses appeared on, on Mount Transfiguration, the disciples knew who Elijah and Moses was were right away. In verse 33, Peter even suggests, he got all excited. He said, Lord, allow us to make three tabernacles, three shelters, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And so, yes, we will know each other in heaven recognizable will we be, but glorified and amazing because of Jesus. Fourth, will we remember our lives on earth in heaven? Will we remember our lives on earth in heaven? Some people say no. Others say yes. 
Listen, some people say no because Isaiah 65, 17 says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. But listen, we need to understand here, what we need to understand is that the person doing the forgetting is actually God. God chooses to forget. God chooses. It's, listen, it's the same thing as God saying in Jeremiah 31 and 34, I will remember their sins no more. It means that God has actually chosen not to recall, not to hold against you your sins, anything that you have done. And so it's he who doesn't, doesn't do the remembering. And listen, yet it is believed by many that our earthly memories will be cleansed. Your earthly memories will be redeemed. They will be healed. They will be restored, not erased. See, in, in Hades, the rich man had memories. In Hades, the rich man had memories. And in paradise, Abraham had memories too. But it's not until we reach heaven that our sorrow will be forgotten. Fifth, in heaven... Do we, do we know, Pastor Freddie, what's happening on earth? Like if I were to die, I'm a Christian, Pastor Freddie. If I were to die today, do I still know what's happening on earth? It's pretty straightforward. Hebrews 12 and verse 1 says, Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. What's a witness? What's a witness? Are there, someone who sees things, right? So you and I, we, we are, even right now, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And so we definitely have witnesses in heaven and they are watching and, and possibly cheering us on from the sidelines. Again, in our text, Abraham, he knew all about, uh, uh, Abraham knew all about Lazarus. Abraham, he knew all about the rich man and their lives on earth. The text is very clear. Abraham said to the rich man, in your lifetime, these are the words of Abraham. He said, in your lifetime, Time, you receive good things and Lazarus evil things. And so Abraham knew what they had gone through on earth. Six, what will we, what will we do in heaven? What will we do in heaven? I think the first week we talked about kind of the misnomer that people think it's just going to be one, uh, one big worship service. And, and uh, you know, some people have even said, you know, it's just going to be so, it's going to be like one non-ending church service. It's going to be so boring. You know, Pastor Freddie, I have a hard time staying awake to your stuff. And so, man, if that's all we're going to uh, do in heaven, listen, 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 don't, 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 don't miss this. I, and I like the way this author put it he said make no mistake one of satan's favorite tactics is feeding us an unworthy dull and distorted view of heaven see he knows satan knows that you and i will lack the motivation to tell others about jesus if our view of heaven isn't much better than our concept of hell i don't want you to miss that that's a great quote one of one of satan's favorite tactics is feeding us an unworthy dull and distorted view of heaven he knows that you and I will lack the motivation to tell people about Jesus if our view of heaven isn't that much better than our concept of hell I don't know about you if heaven isn't much better if heaven isn't much better than hell I, I don't know that I want to go 
If heaven isn't that much better than hell, if they're, you know, pretty close and, you know, one is just, you know, the temperature's two degrees warmer. No, if that's all there is, then maybe I don't want to go, but it's a lot more different than that. The Bible is chock full of, of our heavenly activities. Uh, and so I want to talk real quick. I'm going to kind of throw them at you again. It's a great day to write notes. And so what are we going to be doing in heaven, Pastor Freddie? Okay, the first thing I'll give you is worship. A, worship. In the book of Revelation, there are many verses that talk about singing songs to the Lord in heaven. And so heaven is first and foremost a place of worship to God. In Revelation 5 and verse 13, the, the apostle John heard every creature in, in heaven and on earth singing. We also read in Revelation about a great multitude standing before the throne, crying out in worship to God. And so in heaven, you and I will definitely love, anybody love a night of worship? You and I will love to worship and some of you that don't like it because you can't sing on key, it's going to be okay because you're going to have a glorified body and all of a sudden in heaven, I think some of the things you weren't able to do well here on planet earth, in heaven, you're going to be a rock star for Jesus. You're going to love to worship. Another thing that we'll do in heaven is fellowship. Say fellowship. In Hebrews 12, verses 22 to 24, it says, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly realm. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. Say assembly. To the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Listen, Pastor David Jeremiah, one of my favorite preachers, once said, in heaven we'll have the opportunity to fellowship with people from all over the ages of history. We will also be able to fellowship with our Lord in a way that we can't possibly comprehend right now. And so we will definitely do some fellowshipping in heaven. And again, I know some people are like, Pastor Freddie, I don't like fellowship. I don't come to church fellowships and potlucks because I'm not crazy about it. But you're going to be glorified. You're going to be in heaven. You're going to love hanging out. I don't have to go to work Monday morning, not like that. I don't have to look forward to the bad things. Not that you don't have to work. We're going to get there. But listen, there's going to be some good stuff going on and fellowship will be a part of that good stuff. See, serve, serve. Revelation 7 verse 15 says, They are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. Revelation 22 verse 3 says, In heaven his servants will serve him. And so God is not only worthy of our worship for eternity, he is worthy to be served for eternity. And if we are to serve God in heaven, then that must mean that God has a task for us to do. God has a mission in heaven. In Ephesians 2 and verse 10 it says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. And so listen, those good works continue in heaven as we serve the Lord with gladness for all eternity. The next thing we will do is we're going to do some work. In Isaiah 65 we read about the new heavens and the new earth. 
In verse 21, it says, they will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. In verse 23, it says, they will not labor. They will not labor in vain. Again, it's this, I think it's this mindset that we're going to be angels or something, that false mindset that, you know what? If we're angels, we really don't need food. Listen, I love food. Food is going to be a part. Don't rain on my parade. I know there's going to be good food in heaven. There's going to be some awesome fellowship. There's going to be nights upon nights of worship, times when, when we will serve the Lord and experience His goodness in heaven and work for Him too. No longer will, be there, will, will there be any curse. And so uh, work in eternity is actually going to be enjoyable work. It's going to be like graduating from college with all of the knowledge and skills that you need to start your new life. I love what N.T. Uh, Wright wrote. He said, there will be work to do in heaven and we will be refreshed by it for all eternity. Imagine going to work and you're refreshed. You never get tired. You're never worried about a break. You're ne never worried about the boss looking over your shoulder. You're never worried about uh, uh, getting uh, uh, in trouble in any way. You're going to work and enjoy it with gladness. You're going to work knowing that you have made it to heaven and that you are there with the saints of old, that you are there with your loved ones for all eternity. Work is not going to be a drudgery. Work is not something that is just going to be kind of taking up your time and you're worried about the next moment. You've got all eternity to work and you do it with gladness because of the Lord. And then we're going to rest. Rest. In heaven we will work and we will rest. Isaiah 57, 2 says, those who walk uprightly enter into peace. They will find rest as they lie in death. Revelation 14, 13 says, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Lord, they will rest from their labor for their deeds will follow them. I know what you're saying, Pastor Freddie. Of course, if we're dead, we're going to die. Of course. See, you've got, you're thinking about it the wrong way still. Physical death is the beginning of eternal life. And so these verses, I'm reading them, and I know people are like looking at me like, he said rest in death. Uh, of course. In heaven is where the real rest begins. In heaven is where real life begins. See, on earth, we can't seem to get it right. We either work too hard and we don't take enough time to rest or we lounge around so much we don't feel fulfilled at work. But in heaven, we will find the perfect balance between work and rest. Worship team, come. The last thing I want to talk about that you and I will get to do in heaven is we will rule. We will rule. Genesis 120, in Genesis 1.28, God blessed mankind and he actually gave mankind a mandate to fill the earth and subdue it, right? You remember that, Adam and Eve, fill the earth and subdue it. That word subdue can be translated to have dominion. It can be translated to govern. It can be tra uh, translated to rule and to reign. And so you and I, men and women, were originally created to rule and to reign over all of the earth and everything in it. But in heaven, guess what? You and I will rule and reign with Jesus Christ. See, Jesus says in Revelation 3 and verse 21, 
to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Revelation 5.10 says, You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our, our God, and they will rule reign on the earth. Revelation 22.5 says, And they will reign with the Lord forever and ever. And so in heaven, what are we going to do? We're going to worship. We're going to fellowship. We're going to serve. We're going to work. We're going to rest. We're going to rule. And finally, the seventh and last question that we're going to close with today is the most, most important question of all. The how, right? How do we get to heaven? Most of us know. Uh, but in an Indiana cemetery, it has a tombstone that's over 100 years old with the following inscription. Pause, stranger, when you pass me by. As you are now, so once, uh, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. So prepare for death and follow me. An unknown passerby scratched these additional words on that tombstone. To follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. We decide on this earth where we get to spend eternity. It's actually your most important decision. The fact is, if the Lord does not return in your lifetime, this earthly body is going to die. You've heard me say it before. We all have a birth date. We all have an expiration date. And whether you like it or not, eternity will be your forever home. So why not decide to spend it with the Lord in heaven? Amen? I mean, see, the sobering news about heaven is that it's not true that all roads lead to heaven. Anybody ever hear that? Oh, all roads lead to heaven. We all serve the same God. No, we don't. No, they don't. The truth is, you and I, we live in a broken, sometimes cruel and messed up world. And some of us know that in our text, Lazarus. Lazarus, the, uh, the, the, the man there, he experienced the cruelty of life day after day on earth but he chose to put his faith and trust in his God. And so when he died, he went to paradise. Today, you and I can put our faith in Jesus too. When we, we, we can choose today to spend eternity in heaven, our forever home. And we can also be sure that we have eternal life today. Listen, in John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then in 1 John 5, 13, it says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know, say no, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Stand to your feet. Listen, you can know for sure today, that you will go to heaven when you die. You can know for sure, the scripture says, that you may know you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in his name. And listen, that is a conscious choice. It's not done automatically for you. You choose, I choose. My prayer is that we've all chosen today, amen? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope of heaven. We thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness of our sins, for the price that Jesus paid so that we could spend eternity 
in our forever home. And Lord, I'm mindful of the fact that, Lord, we are here. We are walking different walks. We are in different places. And so I, I will invite, I will say this, that if any of, you, any of you this morning, if Jesus is not your Lord, if you're not living for Jesus Christ, that's where your journey begins. Amen? That's where your journey begins. That's your most important decision, to say yes to Jesus, to live for Him. Amen? And so, Father, I pray that we've made that decision. I pray, Lord, that we're on that journey. I pray that we're drawing closer. And, Lord, if we've slipped, if we've gone by the wayside, if we've become distracted, help us to focus. Time is short. Time is short. Help us to live for you every moment, every day, every hour. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done and for what you continue to do. Have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name, God's people said, amen. amen. Let's close in worship.